0: you're listening to faith community church's weekly podcast we hope this
1: week's message from god is insightful and an inspiration to you with that i've talked enough get your nose into the book the bible philippians chapter 1 verse 1 and i and i called john this week and i said we're going to start a study in philippians And I I can't think of any better way to make it sound authoritative and real than to have somebody with a British accent read it. And John says, I'm your man. So, John, would you read the word today?
0: Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from that first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you since I have you in my hearts, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel
1: This is God's word. Thank you so much, John. My dad joined the United States Coast Guard during the Korean War. And by the way, just a little quick sidelight on my dad. Many of you, thank you so much. You've been praying for me. As you've known, many of you, that my dad has been on hospice care. Um, He is uh, currently being discharged from hospice care. And it is an emotional journey, um, to care for a father and to kind of know what, what, what's next. But I just want to say to all of you who've been so tender and sensitive to me as your pastor and said, how is your dad? Thank you so much for praying for my dad. But I have, I've been thinking about my dad a lot in these months for sure. And he served in the Coast Guard during the Korean War, and for for some of his time of service, he was stationed in Florida, and he was running rescue missions in the Bermuda Triangle, you know, the dun-dun-dun Bermuda Triangle, that one, where when he was in the Bermuda Triangle, he did not see aliens. And he did not see naval vessels disappear off of his radar. Well, he served a lot of hours as he was a sonar man. That was his main job that he was trained to do. And he spent also, late part of his career, he spent it in New York, New York... Well, when he was in New York, he went to a little Baptist church in downtown New York, and he met this beautiful little girl, a young lady who was a ballerina in New York City who ended up becoming my mom, and they got married, and that's that story, where he ran rescue missions out of New York Harbor and stuff like that. But as I said... My dad's main job, he was the sonar man. That's what he was trained to do. But once in a while on a Coast Guard cutter, guys go down, right? They drink too much gin or they're sick or whatever. And they're you're still adjusting to being seasick or whatever. And so you sometimes would have to do other jobs. And one day, his commanding officer told him to take the wheel and steer the ship, the Coast Guard cutter, something he was not trained to be able to do. And so he he didn't know what he was doing, but he knew, I need to obey orders. And so he took the wheel. And being very cautious to kind of be looking to his left and looking to his right to avoid objects that he thought he could see in the water and then steering the boat accordingly. And my dad, as he was steering, thought, I'm doing, I'm doing a great job here. This is, this is pretty awesome. I've never done this before. Doing well. But then suddenly his commanding officer ran up to the wheel and said, Louis, would you take a look behind you? And as my dad turned around, the officer pointed off in the distance where they could both see this wild, curvy line, wake, that was behind them. And as he pointed it out to my dad, he said, Lewis, you're making us all queasy. Now, freeze frame that picture. It's one of those stories your parents tell you, and it kind of like sticks in your brain. That's always been the picture in my mind of what I look like. When my mind and my emotions and my will are being defined and driven based on the immediate situations that are right in front of me in my life, when my life becomes one reaction after another, it's all just react, 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 based on my thoughts of the moments and based on my feelings and my immediate, of of my immediate surroundings and challenges. When I do that and I'm constantly reactive, I end up queasy, I end up in a state of volatile emotions and pursuits. Now, I admit that to you because I want to ask you a question as we start 2022. Do you find yourself in your life, steering your life like my dad on that Coast Guard cutter? Are you finding yourself, you're reacting to events and you're reacting to changing, and changing emotions that you feel about those events as they're appearing right in front of you. That that's almost mostly what you're doing. You're constantly reacting to what's appearing right in front of you. Now, let's be fair to all of us, because I've caught myself doing a lot of this in the last two years. I, I, I think there's a reasonableness to this reaction, Right? I think it's reasonable to react to dangers and challenges that are immediately right in front of us. But, if our consistent response to every new life event is reactive thinking, it's reactive feelings, and reactive steering of our lives, then it becomes a problem. It becomes a problem. And I'll just give you two examples of how it becomes a problem. One, let's just look at the external world of our bodies. When we're constantly living in a reactive life, I'm not a doctor, but I do know the adrenaline pumping through our body at some point creates cascading problems to our health, with that's all we're ever doing. If you look on the inside, we end up living very distracted and distressed lives, lives that are constantly, even as believers, stuck in survival mode. We never, we never experience any kind of like thriving mode, it's always survival. So today we're starting a brand new series in 2022. I'm, I I, I don't, honestly, I don't know how much value you'll actually get out of it. I hope you do. I know I need to study the book of Philippians. It is a book about how to stand firm. Life can beat us down and life has beat us down, all of us in all kinds of different ways, but we don't have to be a people who stay down. And Philippians tells us that Jesus can provide to us a life that can stand up to anything. Anything. And what we're going to see is that when Paul talks about standing firm, he doesn't mean what it has kind of come to mean in Western Christendom. Like I think, and I want you to already start sifting through this in your own head, that standing firm, we're going to find out, doesn't mean... This defensive, fearful struggle to hold on. Think about that. Have you picked up on any of that in church culture? That standing firm is not a defensive, fearful struggle to hold on to church traditions, assumptions, wrong interpretations of the Bible that are more about culture than actuality of what Jesus is about. That is not what we're talking about. That's not what Paul is talking about when he addresses to be a people of standing firm. Paul is going to talk about a standing firm that is a ability to press through and to press forward in dependence upon a dependable Jesus Christ. We're going to find out what does that look like. So here we go. Philippians you could hear it from Paul uh, Paul's opening words that John so eloquently read for us it is a letter of contentment and joy it just comes right out of Paul it's just so much contentment and joy but you would be surprised to know the setting of the author's life was actually incredibly threatening and dangerous dark these are just, just give you some overall facts of this letter we're going to read. This is the backdrop of the author, Paul's life. For one, here's what we know. He was under house arrest. So you got to get out of your head the whole, got an ankle bracelet on my, my leg and a wide area that I can walk within before it beats. That's not kind of house arrest. I mean, it was literally ball and chain house arrest. Probably most scholars think there's some debates about which city it was, but probably it was in the capital city of Rome, of the Roman Empire. He was under house arrest for disturbing the peace. Why had he disturbed the peace? Because as you know, Paul liked to preach about Jesus, the carpenter from Nazareth, who'd actually risen from the dead and had obliterated death and who was the Lord of life. And so because he had been preaching that, that was considered disturbing the peace when everybody was told, no, Caesar's our God. So he was under house arrest. Under house arrest, he wasn't sure if Rome might execute him. If you want to just glance at your Bible that you've already cracked open, look at chapter 1, verse 20, while I'm still talking. And he mentions this possibility. He's like, My life might end. I I don't know. Underneath all of that, he also was experiencing a group of people around him, believers. Which, by the way, is a good highlight. Is like, believers have been stinkers since the beginning of the church. He was experiencing a group of people, fellow believers around him, who were making his ministry extremely difficult. If you want to look in your Bible again, just to reference. Is Andy serious about this? Yeah, look at chapter 1, verse 15. He references that. In addition... Paul had experienced one of Philippi's, the church at Philippi's, one of his, their own trusted, loved people had traveled 300 miles to come help support him under his house arrest, because when you were in prison in those days, they didn't give you three squares and a and a toilet and and a commode and a and a mattress. They didn't give you any of that. You were gonna live or die based on how your family and friends took took care of you or not. And so they sent a guy to come take care of Paul, a guy named Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus comes. He takes care of Paul. He gets sick, deathly sick, to the point he almost dies in front of Paul. And if you want to see, look at chapter 2, verse 27. He references this. What we would expect, well, maybe I should just own it for myself, what I would expect someone in such circumstances would be the opening words in a letter to be words that would, I don't know what the exact words would be, but that in some essence would be, this sucks. That's what I'd write. You would expect those are the opening words he's going to say. Some level of paragraph after paragraph of, if you sum it up, this sucks. But Paul... Opens up with surprising amounts of gratitude and love. Well, it's crazy. He and he says Timothy's supporting him in writing this letter. They're writing to the believers and the servant leaders of a house church in Philippi. By the way, dismantle all of your thinking of these early churches being mega churches the way we think of big successful churches archaeologists have dug up first century churches most of them were on grapevine covered patios didn't have more than 80 to 100 people like faith community church size right considered by paul a vital center of the gospel work of jesus christ so size has nothing to do with success and so they write this letter to this place, and he begins by expressing deep gratitude for three things that were leading his life forward in confidence, despite all of the things that he was going through. And I just want to take a look at a few of them to observe a common thread, a theme. First of all, Paul pressed forward despite all of these trials he was facing because of his gratitude for the people of God at Philippi. He's deeply grateful for who these people were. To him, he writes, "I thank my God every time I remember you." He could see, like in his mind's eye. He didn't have FaceTime. He had ancient FaceTime in here, in his head the pictures of the people that he had inter- interacted with and had led to Jesus Christ. He could picture in his mind people who he knew were concerned about him, people that he knew they were praying for him, people that he knew were financing his ministry so that he could be effective for Jesus, people who had sent a dear loved one, Epaphroditus, to come and help him. And all these people, because of these actions, and I know what it's like as a pastor, it's like sometimes you go, is this person like really a follower of Jesus. But when they're acting that way in their lives towards you, you're like, these these are God's people. These are followers of Jesus. And he is grateful that the work that God had begun in them, he knew was certainly going to be brought to completion. Now, think through the deeper part of what that gratitude is actually about. Paul is saying he is confident that the thing God used Paul to start in the lives of these people was absolutely for sure going to be completed by God. And that it was going to be completed by God, that nothing, not Paul's absence, if he ever got back to Philippi at all, not if Paul got executed, nothing was going to prevent the accomplishment of God's future work and these people who were showing the fruits of these are the real people of God. He was deeply grateful for that reality in the people of God. Second thing I want you to see is Paul pressed forward despite his trials. There is contentment emanating out of him due to his gratitude for the partnership in the mission of God. These people with him in partnership with the mission of God. Paul knew that in a, very, in a bigger sense, all Christians were on trial with him every Christian in the Roman Empire was kind of on trial with him. Rome's decision about how they were going to decide they were going to treat Paul was going to impact Rome's view of all Christians. And that, so think about this, that made Philippi's open support of this guy Paul, who was a enemy of the state under this legal proceeding that was ahead of him that made their relationship to him potentially dangerous to themselves we don't read that when we kind of blast through Philippians and we don't really recognize that but that was reality and Paul knew it and underneath this black cloud of hurting circumstances in Paul's life he was all the more thankful For the way Philippi openly embraced Jesus and the mission of Jesus Christ. Going all the way back, all the way back to in Acts chapter 16 verse 15, this woman of means, widow named Lydia, met Paul down by a river and she opened up her home to him and that was the beginnings of the church of Philippi back to the Philippian jailer and his family. After an earthquake, Paul brought Paul, Paul and Silas were brought into his home openly, and his whole family becomes followers of Jesus Christ, become parts of the church at Philippi. In Acts chapter 16, verse 33, all of their financial gifts, along with Epaphroditus being sent, all of that, he was grateful. They didn't abandon Paul in the face of possible persecution that was going to come their way in support of him grateful, grateful. The third thing, Paul pressed forward despite all of his trials because of his gratitude for the end game of God. The end game of God. The end game of God in the lives of these Philippian people. And frankly, it, it hints strongly toward God's end game for the whole world. If you take a glance at Paul's personal prayer, and I love it, it's one of, sometimes I like to go to Paul's letters, maybe encouragement for you to do that too. If you're like, Holy Spirit, what would you be praying over me? I go to these moments in Paul's opening letters where he says, here's what I'm praying for you. And I go, okay, this must be what the Holy Spirit's calling out to God on my behalf in front of God. And Paul is prayer in verses 9, 10, and 11 is a prayer for their spiritual progress. To be a people who are good at loving God and good at loving other people. Becoming people of whom Jesus was truly proud to say, these are my people. These are my people. Now, here's why that's important. Going uh, more than just being prayed for, right? That, That in and of itself, that's important. But there's a deeper importance or a larger scale importance to this prayer, Going all the way back to the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, the hard left in your physical book, right? That first book. Going from that point, from the the first opening moments in the Garden of Eden and running right straight through the Hebrew Bible, which we call the Old Testament in the English translation. Going all the way through this this part of the Bible that, by the way, the Hebrew Bible, Paul knew it forwards and backwards, backwards and forwards. He was aware of this. God has always had an end game. It started in the garden. It went off the rails when the atomic blast of sin went off. And we're still in the fallout of it. But even after it went off, God says, plan hasn't changed. God has always had this end game of co-ruling in his marvelous creation. And he still thinks it's marvelous, even though it's broken right now. Of co-ruling in this marvelous creation with beings made in his image who are animated and informed and empowered by his spirit to serve as his incredibly wise representatives in his kingdom and in his universe forever. Let me say that again because I don't think we're clear enough about God's end game in our own thinking with whatever parts of our lives we're going through. That God has always had an end game and it has not changed of making a, a, a people who can co-rule in his marvelous creation because we are made in his image. We're animated. We're informed and empowered by his spirit to serve as these incredibly wise representatives for him and with him in his kingdom for Ever, that's his end game and Paul is praying out his confidence in the certainty God is going to have a people who fit that profile he's going to and he's praying that these Philippian people become that kind of people I don't know if you know this I pray that for you quite often as a church Paul's steadfast gratitude in these three things gives him a confidence To stand firm in his trials. Now, here's the thing that I think you and I need to learn in these opening words of gratitude and love. And this is one of the first things I want to say because this week, as much as our family has been bent backwards by life, I was deeply grateful for the opportunity to study the Word of God this week. And here's what comes out of it Gratitude for an assured future creates confidence. In a troubling present, it's what gets you through. Let's talk a little bit about gratitude. It's not easy, but gratitude is so vital for the well being of our bodies and our souls and our minds. It's important. We know this, we've heard it before, right? It is important, it's good. To practice gratitude in the present blessings of God that he doesn't have to give us on this day. And yet he does anyway. Like we just shouted out some of those blessings a few minutes ago. I heard my brother Rob call out for the, thank you so much for this rain. And little little ones calling out, thank you so much for this and that. It is important and good for us to have gratitude for these things God gives us today. He does not have to. That cup of coffee you had this morning, you didn't have to have that from God, but he gave it to you. But it is just as important to practice a different kind of gratitude for goodness that's not yet in your grasp. You don't have it yet. But God promises to you and to me in your future This is a gratitude that rarely gets applied. And I'll just talk about my own life. And here here are the three reasons why. It's rarely applied because, number one, I am better at grumbling than gratitude, period. Number two, I don't really know fully or ponder God's promises to me very thoroughly for my future. And then number three... I haven't digested the promises of God's end game enough to the point that it informs how I'm looking at what I'm going through right now today. And maybe you can relate to what I've just expressed. Paul was grateful for the future that Christ had assured to him. He was grateful that his investment of love in the people of God at Philippi, it was going to end in great good. He didn't see how all was going to go in this particular moment, hooked to a ball and chain. But he was grateful. He knew that's who God was. Well, what do we do with that? Well, that means that you and I, we can be grateful now in the assurance that our investment of love for our other sisters and brothers in Jesus Christ here in this church and folks look we've been through it right through this last two years sisters and brothers in Christ have different views about vaccines and mass things that we never thought would be divisive whatever it is that the sacrifice that we have made to continue to love and continue to be vulnerable and to continue to not cancel, but to keep loving our sisters and brothers and to continue to love the world. It's not futile. It will end in great good. It's the same thing. Back to Paul. Paul was grateful for the future that Christ assured him that their shared pursuit of the mission of God was going to end in great good. And so for us, we're grateful now in the assurance that our shared pursuit here at Faith Community Church and in other churches who actually call on the name of Jesus Christ, our shared pursuit of making more and better disciples of Jesus, it's not futile. It will end up in great good. I just talked to a pastor friend this week who was talking to a friend, a pastor friend in Texas. And the pastor friend in Texas says, what's happened, what we see happening spiritually in places like Santa Cruz and the West Coast and the East Coast to us is the canary in the coal mine. And I said, when he asked that question, was he terrified or was he confident? And he says, actually, he was confident. And I go, good. Cause that's why I'm here. That's why I'm not moving. Because, yes, we are a canary in the coal mine, but I'm not afraid, and we don't need to be afraid. Because guess what? We get to be the people of God who re-engineer what the gospel looks like and how it intersects life in a post-Christian context. Go ahead. If you want to flee to some place that, I'm just telling you now, in five years, it's coming to you. If you go to Tennessee or Texas or wherever you want to go. I'm just saying, it's coming. It's not going to just stay here. And so we can be grateful now in the assurance of that shared pursuit. It will accomplish great good. Paul was grateful for the future that Christ assured to him that the end game God has for his people and the world is the end game. Not the Marvel Universe end game. God's end game. And so that means that you and I, we can be grateful now I want to quote Lynn Kohik, who is a, a really wise woman theologian, who's written the commentary on the Philippians that I'm using greatly in this study. We can be confident in this, and I'm quoting her. She says that nothing, nothing in this world can nullify God's grace. Everything in the end will serve God's purpose. Everything. And I want to tell you, man, that kind of future assurance gratitude generates a stand firm confidence in troubling times. Now, I think a lot of us, you probably have had the same thing that I had as a kid growing up hearing about Paul. I think there's a mythology we've all created about Paul. He's almost like a Marvel Universe superhero of the Christian faith. Am I right? Right. He, I think he's kind of become that in our thinking. I had that for this mythological picture of this Jesus warrior, you know, who, who won victories for Jesus, and he did, and he had success all the time and power everywhere that he went. That's not accurate. It's not, which I think brings him back to the humanity that we all live as well. And just so you know... The fact is, by Paul's own account, and we're going to find out more about it in Philippians, but by Paul's own account in another letter, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 4 through 10, here's what he has gone through in his life. I'll read it. We'll put it up on the screen. He says, I've been in troubles, hardships and distresses, in beatings, beatings, imprisonments, riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, Through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine, yet regarded as imposters, known, yet regarded as unknown, dying, and yet we live on, beaten, not killed, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, poor, yet making many rich. That's out of his own words. That's that's my real experience. And despite all of that trouble and pain, Paul pressed forward in confidence because he was grounded in a gratitude for a promised future that he didn't fully have in his grasp yet. Let's talk about you and me. You're going through it in some way at the beginning of 2022. And and by the way, at Linger Longer, if you're one of the people who... This first week of 22 is like oh my gosh this is already looking like the year of me 2022 it's been going so good already awesome i do i honestly want to talk to you thank you because it's your evidence of God's grace and a season that i hope for at some point in my future so i don't want to like knock down that possibility but what i do want to say is probably for most of us we're going through it you're tired you're tired you're grieving my family's grieving and it hurts you're mentally and emotionally strained and by the way I just want to continue to make this plug through the through May of this year the elders are committed to you if you're a member of this church and you're like I need to kind of reach out and get a little bit of help we're here to front load helping you financially and helping you find a counselor you're mentally and emotionally strained you're you're easily triggered like you're doing you're you're yelling things in your car and you're doing things with your car that your spouse is saying stop cuz you're triggered easily you're tempted to cancel uh, and, I, and I know you've had, you're talking about all oh, these people who are trying to cancel me. But you know in your own heart, the own hypocrisy of your own heart, how you're tempted to cancel them. And it is so easy to steer your life in a very reactive, volatile way that's keeping you in this state of feeling queasy. I'm there. You're there. We're all there. Except for, like I said, that one person who 2022 is already starting off with a positive bang. Good on you. But I want to say this, despite all of that, you and I can still be people who press forward in a confident, non-reactively triggered way. As we discover, as we're going to read this letter, and we embrace and then trust the future that God has promised us, the future that God is at work bringing about that we can't fully see today. In fact, it almost seems completely hidden. It's not yet in our grasp, but it is going to come true. Now, here's what all this invites us to do. I didn't tell you the whole story about my dad. After my dad's commanding officer shouted at him, Lewis, you're making us all queasy, stop. He took the wheel, obviously, from my dad in order to kind of right the ship and stop the queasy feeling. Um, it's like a whole new song. I've got a peaceful, easy, queasy feeling. Anyway. Um, and he, um, he steered the boat for a minute to try to kind of get the thing right. And then he just immediately took my dad and shoved him right back in the wheel and, and hung o- over his shoulder. And he pointed off in the distance. And he said to my dad at, to the, in the distance, Look at the horizon. And then steer this ship. I probably should repeat that. Look at the horizon and then steer this ship. That'll keep us all from being queasy, Lewis. And as my dad told the story, it amazed him how straight the wake behind them became. Once he stopped zigging and zagging out of the immediate reactions, and he started staring the vessel towards a clear horizon. Gratitude for this assured future that God has, it's clear, it's in God's word. That's why we want to be people of the book, people of the oracle. God has said, we, gratitude for that assured future, it gives us confidence in troubling times. And so the call to us practically today, gaze at your assured horizon. Gaze at the assured horizon. It might be that your gaze has been only on the wind and the waves that are kicked up around you. That I know in my life recently, it's like it's it's one thing after another that gets kicked up around me. As I said at the beginning, I I totally get it. It it is reasonable to to react to the dangers and the challenges that are immediately right in front of us. It's reasonable. But our immediate problems... It's not a good horizon to be fixing our gaze on for too long. It's not good for us. We, of all people on this planet, who have been found by Jesus Christ and have been brought into his lovely kingdom, we are a people with an option that's been granted to us through the gospel to look beyond the current frenzy of our current troubles and fix our gaze on the horizon that Jesus has promised to us. Gaze at the assured horizon. Even as painful as this moment is. Gaze at the horizon. Of where your investment of love now. As difficult as it may be. It's somehow going to end in good. I, I can't tell you how, but Somehow. Gaze at the assured horizon where our collective pursuit of the mission of God, as difficult as it feels now. One pastor who came and left Santa Cruz said it's like trying to harvest in fields of steel. Okay, it is. But to gaze at the assured horizon where our collective pursuit of the mission of God is somehow going to end in good. To gaze at the assured horizon... For God's end game for his people and for this world, as impossible as it seems right now, it's going to happen. Nothing can stop it. And by the way, gaze at your assured horizon with a period at the end of the sentence rather than a question mark. And here's what I mean by that. To gaze at your horizon and to say, God is good, period. Not, is God good? question mark to gaze at your horizon saying god it is faithful period not is god faithful question mark To gaze at your horizon saying, it will be worth it all. Period. Not question mark. Is it going to be worth it all? To gaze at your horizon, to say from that horizon, there will be at some point no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old order will end. Period. Not question mark. Is it all going to end? That's what we got to do. I'm going to invite Carrie and Ben to come on up. And as they kind of get settled... We're going to do some longer worship, very purposefully during this series, on the back end. Longer time to let the music and the Spirit of God come through the back door and attack you with His grace. But I want you to know the circumstances of your life, they may not change. And they may not be in the power of, power of you to change. But I will tell you this, you have the power to change your response. Will you respond by choosing gratitude to Jesus for his present and future blessings? Will you respond in gratitude rather than the all-too-easy grumbling? Will you respond by fixing your gaze on a beautiful horizon Jesus has promised to you and steer your life towards that horizon instead of the all-too-easy reactive steering of your life? Gratitude for an assured future can give us this confidence in a troubling presence, inviting you and I to fix our gaze on the assured horizon that is out there. That's what kept Paul going. And I want to tell you something. That kind of response, it may not take away how tired you are, but it will give you hope when you wake up tomorrow morning or in the middle of tonight. It may not remove all of the mental and emotional strain, but it will sustain you in the strain It may not take away all your grief right now, but in the heat of the tears on your cheek, you know Jesus is crying with you. It may not solve anything immediately, but it will drive you deeper into the heart of God. And by the way, your whole life is about preparing you to spend eternity with him as his friend. Let's pray. God, thank you for this word from the Apostle Paul, living his life in chains and yet at the same time standing firm, pressing forward into this confidence of the kingdom of God. God, I need this. Oh, how I desperately need this. I'm probably more preaching to me than anyone else who's listening. But I also think we all need this. Lord, now as we enter into musical worship, music is the one art form we don't see. We just hear it. But boy, how your Holy Spirit can use it to bring us into your presence in a most special way. So, Lord, please do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this production of Faith Community Church in Santa Cruz, California. To visit our complete archive of sermons, to learn more about FCC, or to view our live
0: streaming services, please visit us online at santacruzfaith.org.